hours of airtime for a few good programs to serve their communities. Radio is better than ever in targeting an audience that listens to what you say. Learn more about this exciting radio broadcasting opportunity by calling WNZK Radio at 248-557-3500. This is WNZK, Dearborn Heights, Detroit. Your ethnic superstation at 690 days, 680 nights. The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome, everybody. This is Ray Hanania. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. And, uh, we're excited to be here. We're waiting for our guest. Uh, the mayor of Dearborn, uh, uh, Abdul Hamoud, is going to join us in a minute or two. And we're going to talk about his first eight months in office and what it's been like. And then later at the bottom of the hour, we will talk with Dennis uh, Denno, uh, a political analyst and uh, media consultant and pollster, to kind of go over some of the election results that we saw in Michigan and a couple around the country, if we want to go through that. So uh, we should be uh, getting into all that. Segment one, uh, Abdullah Hamoud. And then uh, at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk with Dennis Denno. Um, we're broadcast live on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Greater Detroit, including parts of Ohio on WDMV AM 700 in Washington, D.C., including parts of Virginia and Maryland. Um, and then we rebroadcast every... Um, Thursday, tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. in Detroit on WNZK AM 690. So you can re hear the broadcast again of the breaking news we make every week. News that Arab Americans need to follow. We need to start respecting ourselves, right? And one way to do it is we need to present ourselves and we need to do it in a way that reaches Americans. And then, of course, it's also broadcast tomorrow in Chicago at 12 noon on WNWI AM 1080. So I just got a message uh, and the mayor is coming on. He should be on shortly. And we understand I covered Chicago City Hall for 20 years and in Chicago and uh, oh, geez, from daily to da daily, I think it was like seven mayors. Um, so it's always an honor to have the chief executive officer of a major city. And Dearborn is a big city. Um, very important. Uh, in a historic election on November 2nd, 2021, 31-year-old state legislator Abdullah Hamoud, born to immigrants from Lebanon, defeated a 66-year-old veteran politician, Gary Waranchak, to become the first mayor of Arab descent in Dearborn, a city long known for its sizable population with roots in the Middle East community. Taking the stage at a community center named after one of the founders of the Islamic Center of America, According to the reports in uh, one of the Detroit Free Press newspapers, Representative Hamoud declared there is a new era in Dearborn. And we're going to talk to uh, the mayor about that new era. Um, he won with 54.6% of the vote, which is pretty significant. Um, in terms of elections, that's a landslide. It was almost a 10% spread. So you can't get any better than that. Later on, we're going to talk with uh, Dennis Denno and we're going to look at the, uh, you know, the really the influence of APAC is just amazing how they targeted candidates. Uh, they beat uh, Huayda Arif in the 10th Democratic primary district. Um, they defeated Andy Levin, a Jewish American legislator who was pro peace, middle of the road. In fact, I, I wouldn't say that he was, an ex, you know, far to the left or far to the right. Uh, he was a pro-peace activist and APAC targeted him and he lost. 
Um, it's just terrible. And then in the 12th Democratic primary, uh, the uh, 12th District Democratic primary, Rashida Talib has won re-election again with a huge margin, 63.8 percent, uh, almost uh, geez, three times more than her closest rival, Janice Winfrey. Then there were some local uh, races. Alabas Farhat uh, won the state house in District 3, uh, but Bilal Hamoud uh, in District 15 lost, and Stephanie Fakie in District 54 lost. So I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. So um, let's go ahead and welcome our guest, uh, Mayor Abdullah Hamoud, who's uh, joining us right now. Um, it's really kind of an honor to have him on because uh, I interviewed him when he was a legislator um, back in uh, Michigan. Hey, Mayor, how are you? Good. How you doing, Ray? Thank you so much. Listen, I, I know your life is hectic. You've been in office eight months. It, I, I'm sure you realize being mayor is completely different than being a state legislator, right? Absolutely. More responsibility. Um, legislator. Legislator was like a vacation compared to mayor. <laughs> I can imagine. I covered Chicago City Hall almost nine, 18 and a half years, uh, seven big mayors. And I know that uh, um, it's a tough thing. You've got a huge enterprise that you have to oversee. Everybody's going to blame you and criticize you for everything that goes wrong. Um, everybody else will take credit for everything that goes right. Um, but, you know, I'm just excited to have you. And uh, tell us, first of all, um, you know, eight months. Have you uh, changed the world yet in Dearborn? I, I don't know if I've changed the world as I'm, my focus is just trying to change Dearborn, but in the first eight months, it's been great. Um, we're just starting our eighth month and we've been able to assemble one heck of a team. Um, a lot of Dearbornites who, who left, who gained uh, valuable experiences, we're able to bring back. Uh, we're able to you know, balance, uh, uh, get the city towards becoming structurally balanced um within the next hopefully two years which is something that the city has not been able to do in over a decade we've been able to launch several initiatives to improve quality of life and so i would say we've been very busy uh the first uh, seven months or so entering our eighth month and uh hopefully much more to come what, what was probably the most important thing you brought being arab american and, and i know that obviously you have a big city it's diverse and i think you're uh uh, the staff that you put together has been described by ev everybody as being historically diverse, which is phenomenal. Yeah, you, absolutely. You know? our, our, I think any administration should be reflective of the community that it serves, and we were able to accomplish that. As it pertains to what I've been able to bring, I think more so than being Arab American, but as somebody who grew up you know, in a working poor family, I think it's that perspective of uh, those who grew up in a marginalized part of the city. Um, you know, it's one of the things that influenced, for example, our decision to make pools free for those children 13 and under, because as somebody growing up, uh, one of five siblings, my parents couldn't afford to send me to the pool. And so we thought waiving the fee for children means that they'd have access uh, to amenities and maybe have uh, a, a better experience throughout their summer and their childhood. And so I think it's that perspective. It's that uh, that willing that that ability to empathize based on my life experiences, which has been been pretty great. Probably the biggest thing you bring as an Arab American is that uh, you ensure that Arab Americans have a seat at the table. Now, they've been at the table, but you ensure that this is formal recognition that they have a voice in Dearborn. But as you pointed out, uh, the issues really have really have nothing to do with being Arab, right? You want to help families that need help. You want to give kids the opportunity to do great. You want to help the schools. You want to keep taxes down. What's been the biggest uh, uh, challenge, you think, uh, coming into office? What's the hardest thing so far? The hardest thing, you know, something I pride myself on is accessibility. But if you want to be successful in government, the thing that you need is trust with residents. And so, you know, we obviously we, we had a successful campaign wins. You won the majority, but you won the majority of votes amongst those who actually vote, which is much smaller than the actual city. But those commenting on social media aren't necessarily the ones who voted. You have a much broader audience. And so the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm really working on trying to improve is the trust that exists between government and people, because if that trust is there, it allows you to co-govern uh, and really produce better results. And, that, and under that co-governance model, you can really begin to move the whole city forward. So I'm, I'm really spending time there and building that program out. 
And then when you uh, look at things, uh, when you took over office, was there anything that you were like surprised about that you didn't realize um, was happening that needed to change or that you were, you know, excited about? Was there, was there a surprise? You've been in politics a while. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, ran on the, we ran on the concepts of change, but when we came in, cause we, you know, I had felt as a, as a lifelong resident, that the city has stagnated uh, to some degree. But coming in and opening up the financial books, you realize that we've really struggled much more than I ever anticipated. And so I walked in inheriting a $28 million deficit. Uh, 22 million was structural, meaning ongoing year to year. And it was a very challenging first six months to put forth a budget that reflected our priorities and our values as a city, but also ensured that we uplifted not only our residents, but also our employees and our retirees. And uh, I think we were successful in moving uh, something that represented our values forward. Um, but the work is only beginning. It's easy to pass a budget. That was the work of like, similar to a legislator. It's easy to vote up or down on the budget. Right. What's difficult is to actually execute and build out the programming in that budget so that the outcome is reflective of its intentions. And, and you have to look at the money you're bringing in, how you're going to spend it and everything. Was there anything that you changed in terms of programs or that you expanded in terms of programs that you felt given your budget, you know, constraints that you could change? Or are you just kind of maintaining what you have and opening up more? I mean, it's only been seven months, as you point yeah. out. It's still early. Yeah. You're in a honeymoon if you, you know, I don't know if the honeymoon's over yet, but I know it happens pretty quick. So you it, gotta it watch really does. It really does. Um, you know, we are trying to do more with less. You know, one of the things that the city lost was a portion of its operating revenues due to a failed millage. And what we're also trying to do is sustain the level of services that we offer, though. And so what we've actually been able to do is challenge the way things have always been done and improve the service quality that we have delivered as a city at a lower cost. And I think that's something to be very proud of. And now what we're looking at is expanding programming and investing in amenities that we currently have that have not been improved in three, four or five decades. And so we're prepared to hopefully make some announcements in the coming months about some investments that are coming. But to your point, it's been seven months. Um, we're trying to pace ourselves. But, you know, I think one of the caveats to being the first is the expectations in the bar is higher. And so that means the work that we're doing is at a much quicker pace than maybe some of our predecessors uh, would have been used to. But it's to hopefully deliver to the expectations of our residents. Well, I think being Arab American, you're going to be more open to everybody because, you know, the history of Dearborn, when you really go back, there were some problems for some minorities. Yeah. Um, they weren't accepted. There was, uh, I think there was a mayor, everybody points to him. He wasn't very nice to a lot of minority groups, but you seem to have opened up and reached out to everybody. Absolutely. I mean, accessibility again is key. And regardless of one's ethnicity, I might be Arab or, and, and, and Muslim, but I'm also reaching out to my Arab non-Muslim counterparts. I'm reaching out to my non-Arab Muslim, my non-Arab uh, Christian counterparts. And that's the beauty of Dearborn, where this uh, culturally diverse, demographically diverse, uh, ethnically diverse community. And I'm hoping that everyone feels like, you know, in Arabic, we have this term called wasta, which means to connect. And prior to coming in, everybody said, if you don't have a wasta, you can't get anything done in the city. And what I'm trying to make people feel is that with this administration, all residents have a wasta. You're all connected. You're all able to walk in to be treated equitably and fairly. And whatever you need to get done, as long as within our confines, you know, our motto is how can we get to yes? Um, we don't want to just tell people no, because that's been the standards. How can we get to yes working with residents? So you're celebrated as, of course, the first Arab, one of the youngest, I think, second youngest mayors of Dearborn, but the first Arab mayor of Dearborn. But at some point, you got to get past that, right? You're really not the Arab mayor of Dearborn. You're just the mayor of Dearborn. And uh, I wonder how non-Arabs have responded to you. Did you find a resistance at all, given, you know, the fact that it was so showcased and spotlighted that you were Arab American? That kind of puts a little burden on you to go back and say, hey, I'm no different than you, no matter what your ethnicity. And I think that's what we try. That's the message that we try to put out there. I never ran to be the first. I ran to be the best. And that's what I'm trying to demonstrate, you know, regardless of the direction in which an individual prays, what matters is the direction in which they lead. 
And I think that's really what we want to uplift and highlight and being the first cool, you know, sure. I'm not going to take away from the cool factor of it. It's been yeah. great. I think what it really hopefully what it does is it demonstrates to individuals from marginalized communities, traditionally communities of color that, Hey, you too can do this without changing your identity or trying to wash away who you are. Um, but what's most important is not in fact being the first. Uh, what's most important is demonstrating that you can do as good a job as any one of your predecessors so that you're not the last. So that the next time somebody with a different sounding name who sounds a little bit different, looks a little bit different, maybe he's got a longer beard than others, uh, tries to run for office or maybe has a hijab on her head, um, that people don't look and say, oh, they can't do the job because no one's ever done it who looks like them. Um, in fact, they can say, hey, look, that, that guy Abdullah did it. Uh, so maybe this person can too. Tell us about some of the issues. I mean, for example, like talk about uh, the issue of crime in Dearborn. How, what's the situation there? Because, you, as you know, I'm, I'm from a city in Chicago yeah. where we have such a huge, uh, uh, you know, gun fatality rate. It's just enormous. What's it like in Dearborn and what do you have to do to deal with it? The biggest issue, you know, on like the public safety uh, perspective is actually speeding and reckless driving. And within our police department, um, if you look at the last decade of data, what it will tell you is the majority of citations issued by our officers were focused on, you know, um, high visibility traffic violations, things like dangling ornaments, ex expired license plates, things that never improve somebody's public health. I've never heard somebody complain at a doorstop, right. oh, that person's got dominoes in his rearview mirror. Uh, what I have heard, though, is, hey, that person's speeding and recklessly driving in my neighborhood is impacting the quality of life for me and my family. So we shifted our focus to solely focus on uh, things Im impacting immediate public health or what we call hazardous moving violations. And so we saw a 700% uptick in citations issued on speeding and reckless driving. And so one, we're seeing actually uh, a decrease in those actually speeding and reckless driving in the city. But the second uh, direct and indirect outcome of this is there was a racial disparity present over the last decade. Nearly 60% of all citations issued were issued to Black and African-American drivers, although the region is only 22% Black. And under this model, not only are we improving the safety in our neighborhoods based on what residents want, we also see a, a, a plummet, a significant plummet in that disproportionate uh, effect that was present uh, based on the data. And so that's something that we're also uh, to be proud of. Does that come from the... Uh the uh, things that different ethnic groups do, like they may put something on their uh, rear view mirror, like hanging something, or, you know, you're talking about eliminating the distractions that really have nothing to do with safety. Yeah, it was used as the means, you know, the previous philosophy was if I pull over a hundred people for these high visibility stops, one of them might have a gun and I get that gun off the street. But in the process of moving that one gun off the street, you disenfranchised 99 people. Yeah. And I don't think it was quality policing. And my police chief is on board and, and he's supportive of this. My officers have embraced this new model of focusing on things that are really impacting uh, quality of life. And we've seen a dramatic shift in difference all throughout the city. Now, you're in a unique situation. Uh, Dearborn, you know, when I come to Dearborn, it's like the the capital of the Arab American world. I mean, and with the mayor there, you really kind of put the crown on the head. I always felt Chicago was the Plymouth Rock, but I think Dearborn has really taken that title away from us. <laughs> but but um, what about the issue of, for example, when you got in there to see the numbers, did you see uh, any discrepancies in terms of the census and the population in Dearborn? Was everything accurate in terms of the way the city was being presented? Or well, it's difficult. Uh, you know, the, the, the census had us, our, our, based on 2020, said our, our population increased by roughly 12%. There's an argument to be made that we still might be undercounted given a large immigrant refugee population, and those communities are traditionally undercounted. However, if you look at the census, we're also about 90% white because Arab Americans are not captured in the data accurately. And so it's very difficult oftentimes when we're pursuing grants and you want to talk about most grants are behind walls that say, how are you improving the quality of life for a marginalized minority community? And the data doesn't allow us to actually share that story accurately. And so what we're trying to do with our public health department is to see how we can capture data that provides us a very strong estimate. Because to the best of our knowledge right now, everybody just used estimate. You'll hear anything from 45% to 55% Arab American. The truth is nobody really knows. 
And so we're doing our best to capture that real data so we can also share it in the storytelling that we're doing about the city and also hopefully access more resources to help move the, the city forward. Does that mean you're kind of doing your own census in a way in Dearborn? We're trying to figure out a way to do it methodically. It'll be very difficult to have enumerators going door to door. Right. We're trying to see what data sources actually exist and how we can couple it with some data sources that the city might have um, that allow us to get to a more accurate number. Do you prefer the word, uh, if you don't mind me asking about the census, um, the word Arab as a category or MENA as a category? Do you think of which one really helps in terms of you being a mayor wanting to, because you're right, getting funding from the federal government from the state government depends on what right. the census shows is there a preference on your part or does I think that the, i think the mina category is more accurate because you have folks who reside in many of the middle eastern countries who might not identify as Arab. um and maybe i'll look to the, the chaldean community for example right there's a, the chaldeans might not say i'm Arab; they might say i'm a syrian or i'm chaldean which might be separate but we can all agree that we're from the middle east and north african countries which largely make up the you know 20 plus arab american other arab countries and nations so i think that's just a more accurate category um so i, I think that's that's the the method or that's the preferred that i would love to see on next census What's the challenge with uh, schools and religion in Dearborn? Are there private uh, parochial schools, for example, religious schools in Dearborn? Do yeah, they just like a... any other community, you have your Catholic schools or your Islamic schools, private uh, private institutions, um, separate from your public school system, separate from your you know charter school system. So just as you'd see in another city. And uh, you, uh, uh, what about the perceptions, you know, that you hear from people? And I know, Mayor, believe me, you have a lot of things going on. I don't want to waste a lot of your time. But these are some of the issues I think people ask, you know, being Arab, you're, you know, they're criticized, you know, Dearborn. They go, oh, there's going to be Sharia law in Dearborn because now we have an Arab Muslim mayor. Do you still face that outside of Dearborn? Does it bother you when you hear things like that on social media? Um how do you I would deal with say it? It's, it's certainly not a, a loud majority. It might be a loud minority of folk who, who do this. You know, the most radical thing out there is, is willful ignorance. And those who are willfully ignorant, I, I don't have time to pay attention to. And so it's not something that I really focus on. As it pertains to our school system, some of the facts, you know, Dearborn has the third largest public school system in the state. And we graduate more Ivy League accepted students than any other public school system in the state of Michigan. And I think that is something to be celebrated. Just speaking to, you know, really the grit that comes from being a Dearbornite. Um, it's on display. It's demonstrated. That's something that we celebrate. And as far as going back to the budget, no tax increases on the horizon. Do you think you can no, do taxes that without? Actually, yeah, this recent tax bill, taxes went down. Uh, property taxes, roughly 16 or 17 percent. Um, we made the commitment that we're going to balance our budget and do what we need to do without going to levy a tax on the voters. And we upheld that commitment. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, uh, that's how we move forward. And so we're structuring our, our operations to be within the confines of where we, uh, where we are right now in terms of the, tax, the taxes that are levied without needing to ask for another dime. It's very difficult right now, especially with high levels of inflation. And so the, 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 the tax relief that we were able to give and, and at least demonstrate, I think, was meaningful for a lot of residents, especially at this time. And I'm hoping that's the pathway that we continue on. I know when I covered uh, Chicago's uh, mayors from daily to daily, um, one of the big organizations was the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And they always look toward the bigger cities to play bigger roles at the U.S. Conference in defining policies to help municipalities like Dearborn. Have you thought about roles that you can play that would expand Dearborn's uh, opportunity to bring things from all these different, you know, not just the state, but the federal government? Have you, are you, uh, have you thought about a role at the U.S. Conference of Mayors? So, you know, I just recently signed up for the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Um, more recently, I was um, accepted as one of 40 mayors from across the globe to enter the Bloomberg Harvard Fellowship the city leaders initiative. And for one year, I'll be working with 40 mayors from across the globe on, you know, frameworks and ideas about how we can improve our respective institutions, our cities that, that we are the merits of. And I think that is one way to elevate Dearborn standing on a global scale, um, to share those ideas, to welcome people here if they're willing to come here, but to build that camaraderie and that network. And hopefully do the same thing with the U.S. Conference of Mayors to really try to put Dearborn on the map. Because, you know, I think one of the things that I was astonished by when I won my election it was 
you know, not only on the national scene, on the international scene. Um, and I think it just speaks to the power of the city of Dearborn, the home of Ford Motor Company, where the home of innovation, but also the capital of immigration. And I think we have to share that story widely. Do they have an official food now in uh, Dearborn, like maybe stuffed grape leaves? or uh, we, we have the best food by far, no matter where you, you do. go. Uh, wherever you go. I mean, everything from like the best burgers and deli sandwiches to the best shawarma and stuffed grape leaves and uh, grape leaves, excuse me, and uh, uh, and kebab and such. And so and even like the newest the newest thing emerging right now, we have a beautiful entrepreneurship from our Yemeni American entrepreneurs with like Yemeni coffee and honey and tea. But also there's like a seafood emergence coming right now with like fresh seafood and grilled seafood. And it is, it is amazing. One of the recent uh, businesses that opened up, Ali Seafood House, uh, Saudi American owner. And it was, uh, you can tell I'm, I'm very hungry. It's about 530. Uh, but it was uh, phenomenal food. Um, and so we, we had just become the food spectacle, I think. All right. We're looking forward to it. Mayor, I know. Listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. Is there anything that you wanted to say that I didn't ask you about? I think that's that's all I really had. The only thing I encourage is uh, for folks to move to the city of Dearborn. And if you have some cash laying around to buy a house in the city of Dearborn. Uh, and if you're looking to open up a business, know that we want to do business with you. All right. And is the media treating you fairly, you think, over there? I mean, it's not as big as the media was 20, 30 years ago, but uh, it seems like they're treating you pretty fair. Yeah, we've, we've built a strong camaraderie with the media. You know, the media is something that you want to build a strong relationship with. We have a great director of communications um, and the team that he's built around him. And so, um, so far, so good. I can't complain. All right. Last question. Has uh, uh, President Biden reached out to you and said, hey, I want to appoint you to my cabinet? <laughs> yeah. Is there I, a new uh, story? Is there like I, a new story? I, I don't know about that happening. Um, I think... Uh, Maybe if he had, you know, like a kid's cabinet, <laughs> uh, he might be looking at me right now. But I don't think I'm on that scale just yet. Hopefully in due time. When I go to City Hall in Chicago, I remember our first question always to Mayor Byrne was, uh, what's up, Mayor? And that was it. And you'd get the biggest news stories possible. Listen, yeah. um, we're very proud of you, Mayor, honestly. You so much, and, and even before you were mayor as a state rep, you were always so gracious to talk to the public, not being afraid to address the issues. That's a really important thing. Absolutely. I hope this continues through the next 22 years of your mayoralty. God All right. Willing. Not for 22 years, but God willing. No, you're going to do really well. Listen, Mayor, thank you so much thank for taking so the much. time to join us. It was a pleasure. Take care. All right. My guest, Abdullah Hamoud, the mayor of Dearborn, joining us to uh, give us an update as he uh, uh, passes through his seventh month to his eighth month in office. Um, and just an interesting guy. This first, his second time he's been on the show, he was on the first time as a legislator. Very smart guy, young, very smart. Um, and so far, everything sounds good, you know, in Dearborn, which is not the same as Chicago. If I had a Chicago mayor, I mean, I had two mayors that refused to come on any shows that I did because they don't like to talk to us. But I think that's the one advantage of having an Arab American mayor. They're not afraid to talk to Arab American media. Um, and I'm so excited about that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we should have uh, Dennis Denno joining us. And we'll look at some of the elections that took place yesterday in the Michigan primary elections. Some good results and, you know, some not so good at results. Um, I was very disappointed to see Huweda Arif not make it. I thought she was a great candidate. She was a fighter. Um, and uh, it was very inspiring the way, you know, she uh, worked so hard. Um, but she was up against a tough onslaught from APAC um, that targeted a lot of anybody. It wasn't just if you were a critic of Israel, but they targeted you um, if you didn't support their agenda, which is why a Jewish American congressman was targeted by them. And he was. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we should have Dennis Denno on the line with us. And we'll go through some of those races in Michigan's primary election. I'm Ray Hanania. I'll be right back right after these messages. Arabnews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at Arabnews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. Arabnews.com, news that matters to you. Yeah, you know, clap your hands. If you're happy, yeah, you know it, and you really want Five-year-old Lila and her mom are on their way home from grandma's. 
singing Lila's favorite song. A few blocks away, 25-year-old Dylan is visiting friends at a small party. He finishes off his last beer, Later, skater. gets in his truck, and starts for home. Mom and Lila turn onto Maple Street. So does Dylan. Every 50 minutes in the United States, someone dies in a crash involving a driver impaired by alcohol or drugs. If you're impaired and you know it, don't drive. Drive sober. A message from the Michigan Office of Highway Safety Planning. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Imagine you're on a train track, somewhere miles away. A train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming, slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track, and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome back to uh, the radio show. I am Ray Hanania, and it is, uh, like I said, Wednesday, August 3rd, and we just got through talking with Mayor Abdullah Hamoud of Dearborn. Uh, Dennis Denno, though, is one of my favorite guests, uh, he, because he's like me. He's a uh, uh, political analyst, uh, a media consultant, and uh, a pollster who founded uh, Denno Research in 2004. He understands candidates, corporations, not pro nonprofits, associations, and, and it's all on his website. But um, I enjoy talking with this guy because he and he offers his insight in a, what I feel is a very objective uh, informative way. So, Dennis, welcome to the program again. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you. I, I got to say, I'm having a really good day, but it just got even better because I got compared to Ray Hanania. So it's got to be an even better day. Thank you know, for that there, compliment. There, there is a group of about uh, 5% of the people that don't like me. So, oh, no. But they're the screamers. You know, they're screamers. So they're 5% sounds like 50, but it's really like 5%. But uh, I'm I'm uh, you know, I just uh, you have the whole field out there in uh, 
Dearborn. And what do you think of Mayor uh, uh, Hamoud? He seems like a great guy. It's the second time I've interviewed him once as a legislator, now as mayor. What do you make of his? He's in a honeymoon, basically. It's been seven months. Um, but how does he look so far from your perspective? Great guy, very bright guy, good hearted, there for the right reasons. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan. I think the 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 sky's the limit for him. And, you know, and I'll, and I'll say this. I mean, in, in Michigan, being mayor of a city is not a very good job. You know, the excuse me, the, 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 the legislature and the governor for the past 20 years has cut a lot of funding to our municipalities. But being mayor of Dearborn is a good job because it's a good community. It's a solid community. It's diverse. And you have Ford Motor Company World Headquarters. And Ford Motor is a good corporate community partner. So it's it's a great job. It doesn't seem like he's going to be the type of mayor that's going to get in a fight with the media. Um, you know, because like I, I've covered mayors in Chicago. There are like eight of them, seven or eight of them. And I remember when Jane Byrne got elected, she was fighting with the media four years of war. The honeymoon lasted like maybe two months. And it was like we had to wear flak jackets. We, I was attacked. They threatened to kick me out of the City Hall press room. Um, they kicked another reporter for the Chicago Tribune out of the press room. It was a war zone. I don't see that happening. Do you in Dearborn? You know, the only way I see that happening is is, is Abdullah Hamoud is going to stand his ground. He's going to, you know, fight for what he believes in. And if, and if he feels... You know, the Arab American community is not getting a fair shake. If he feels Dearborn's not getting a fair shake, he's going to stand up for the city. He's going to stand up for his community, but he's not going to pick a fight just to pick a fight. And, you know, being an Arab American mayor, um, it, the Arab American part really only becomes relevant when you want to make sure your community is at the table. But once they're at the table and you include them, then it all falls back down on being a mayor. And I, I do you think he can handle that job as a mayor? Um, just forget about being Arab, just being a chief executive of a major city like Dearborn. I mean, Ray, you, you probably know this better than anyone. You know, the advice I give people who want to run for mayor, run for governor, run for an executive position is you really need to surround yourself with smart people and you need to listen to them. You don't need to agree with them, but right. you need to listen to them. And I, and I see good people who are good leaders have have that characteristic and people who have not been successful as leaders uh don't listen to good people they think they not, know it all and not be thin-skinned right and uh don't allow your uh uh aides and your staff to feel that they have to yes you all the time to make you right. feel good or right. try to make you happy be honest even if you say something that contradicts the mayor be honest for his or her good right Right. Right. Yeah. And what's the point of surrounding yourself with a bunch of yes men and yes women? People do it. Politicians do it, as you know. Right. You've seen them, haven't yeah, they? And you know, it's not you're 100 percent right. But it's also you see it in the corporate world, too. I mean, there's corporations that have been run to the ground because, you know, they didn't surround themselves with bright people. It's more about egos and stuff. Chicago is a yes man, yes woman uh, city, which is why it's completely on the edge of just a, a precipice of uh, this black hole it's going to fall into this abyss and it's going to go down the tubes the crime is so bad it's just horrible the funding everything all right let's try to look at something positive here back in michigan you just had your elections yesterday well what was the broader message that you saw from yesterday's primary election in michigan may 2nd i mean uh excuse me august uh, 2nd august 2nd yeah great great question you know, I think I think some of the interesting, the two interesting storylines to me are, you know, some of Donald Trump's endorsed candidates did really well and some didn't. And, you know, I think the other thing is, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the other thing is, um, again, female candidates did really well. And, and I and I keep saying that, you know, female candidates start off with a, you know, one to three point advantage. And I and I think that's been proven over and over again. Is Michigan one of those states where the Republicans think that they could take it back in November um, to, you know, restore their presence? I mean, this midterm election, there's a belief that maybe not in Michigan, but in other areas, uh, the Republicans will take over the House. They may take over the Senate uh, on a national level. How does uh, Michigan play into that? Or will it still be, you know, a little edge toward the Democrats as it, as it has been? 
I mean, you know, you know this, uh, uh, Ray, that it's 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 all it's all a game of you know, are the Democrats going to get more people out to vote and vote straight ticket? Are the Republicans going to get more people out to vote and vote straight ticket? And there's about twenty percent of Michigan voters who are independents, and where where do they go? You know, I mean, if 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 independents are basically defined as white suburban women, I, I definitely see them going Democratic this year uh, due to the whole uh, pro-choice issue, and then also somewhat to, due to the gun issue. Um, you know, Republicans were definitely salivating over taking out our incumbent Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer. But I think that's going to become more and more difficult for them. Um, you know, I, I honestly think Donald Trump's going to kind of be that albatross around their necks, um, at least here in Michigan. Um, but who knows? We'll see what happens. We've got three months to go. And um, some of the let's look at some of the congressional elections and yeah. then maybe some of the state elections. I was always very hopeful, but I remember I interviewed you a number of months ago and you said it was going to be a mixed bag. And you were right. And uh, I looked at uh, like the 10th district with Huayda Araf. I liked her. She was a great person. I loved talking to her. She knew the issues, but she was targeted by APAC. There was money issues. Um, and this Carl, uh, Carl. Marlinga won with uh, almost 47, 48 percent of the vote, not a majority, which means the majority of the district didn't support him, um, but enough to take that election. What do you make of that race? Um, you know, Carl Marlinga was the only one who had name ID. Um I really, really like Carl Malinga. I think he's a great guy. Um, he's been in politics since forever. Um, I mean, there's been some questions uh, uh in his past but i just think it was a, a very it was gonna be very difficult for anyone to take out carl marlinga in that democratic primary that being said i think it's gonna be very difficult for carl marlinga to take out the republican john james who ran for u.s senate two times and almost won both of those elections i think carl marlinga is gonna have an uphill battle if we're gonna look for a competitive congressional race in michigan you might want to look at the um, what was the former third congressional district. I don't, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's basically Grand Rapids, where Peter Meyer of the famous uh, supermarket chain here in Michigan, he voted uh, against Donald Trump uh, with impeachment. And then he lost to uh, uh, basically a political nobody, uh, Gibbs, um, African-American gentleman. And Democrats uh, kind of helped Gibbs along a little bit. And uh, Democrats are looking to flip that uh, uh, to, to the Democratic column. So that was a Republican district. Uh, was that one where Trump uh, had a presence or not? Did he just ignore yeah, it? Tr Trump endorsed Peter Meyer's opponent because Peter Meyer's voted to impeach uh, President Trump, former President Trump. Got it. And uh, so there's a chance, in other words, that the Democrats could take that seat. Yeah, I think that would really be in Michigan, the only competitive congressional seat. I mean, Democrats are going to say the Carl Marlinga, John James seat is competitive. Um, you know, we'll see at the end of the day, but those those will probably be one and two as far as competitive congressional seats in Michigan. So it's fair to say, I guess, then what you're saying is that Michigan isn't going to be one of those uh, elections in November that's going to change the dynamics of the national, um, you know, uh, Republican balance or Democratic balance. It's going to pretty much it sounds like it's going to pretty much remain Democratic. Yeah. So we don't have a U.S. Senate candidate up this year. And so, again, the only only way I see Democrats uh, helping uh, Nancy Pelosi stay as uh, state speaker is by taking the Peter Myers seat, Peter Myers being a former Republican and turning that Democratic. OK. And then uh, this uh, was it a surprise to you that Andy Levin, who, you know, I guess he's the nephew, right, of the former congressman or uh uh, who was in office in Michigan um, that that he would lose. It seemed like he had such a strong name. He was such a centrist, a moderate Democrat. Um, and he lost to I'd never heard of Haley Stevens. Had you? Oh, yeah. So Haley Stevens was kind of a celebrity in, uh, with Michigan Democrats. She she flipped a Republican congressional seat um, and uh, she she takes credit for helping with the auto bailout under President Obama. So that was unfortunate for Democrats because you had two congressionals getting merged into one district. 
a lot of Democrats were frustrated, if not bitter, with Andy Levin because he could have run in that Carl Marlinga, John James seat and, and they could have avoided this really ugly, expensive primary, but he wanted to run in Oakland County. Um, and for the record, uh, Andy Levin's father was Sandy Levin, the former congressman. His uncle was Carl Levin, the longtime U.S. senator. Senator, and so, that's right. Yeah, and so as you kind of, I think you mentioned earlier in your show, Excuse me. Andy Levin was kind of more, for lack of a better word, moderate uh, with regards to Middle East policies. And so uh, the pro-Israeli groups in APAC really beat him up over that. Um, I'm not surprised. Partially, that's my parents' congressional district, my mom and dad. And um, I saw a lot of the mail and I saw a lot of the TV ads. And I mean, you know, one, you've got Haley Stevens. She's a woman, so she's got that bounce. I just didn't really see how Andy Levin was going to break through. So maybe the I guess that begs the question that, you know, there was all this talk about how APAC was really targeting him. Maybe APAC really wasn't the deciding factor then in that race. I mean, they helped, right? It, it, they helped. Obviously, they take, yeah, they yeah, contributed they to his credit. demise. I mean, but, there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors in it, right? Um, um, you know, and Andy Levin obviously happens to be Jewish, too. So. Um, yeah, they can definitely take credit. You know, they tried going after APAC, tried going after Rashida Tlaib, or at least, you know, pro-Israeli groups did, and they failed miserably at that. So sometimes yeah. you win, sometimes you lose. Yeah. And uh, I, I like Rashida. I think she's pretty good. I mean, uh, she and I had a difference of opinion. And you know how Arabs are. One thing they don't like, they just don't forget. They, I, I wonder why they're not Republican, because their memories are like elephants, and they just can't get that little spur out of their between their toes. Um, from bugging him. But uh, in in fairness to Rashida, Rashida Talib won with 64% of the vote. That's a huge landslide. Um, there's no question, in other words, that she's in for the long haul if she wants it, especially in this new district. Yeah, she did really well in a, in a brand new district for her. Um, I mean, look, she's she's a national name, you know, and I, you know, full disclosure, I did a little work for her opponent, uh, Janice Winfrey, who's a nice person. But no offense to Janice, I mean, you know, kind of a second tier candidate. I mean, there really wasn't that strong candidate that was needed to really challenge uh, Rashida. And Rashida yeah. works really hard. Yeah. And she uh, a lot the of only money. time the only time you hear about Rashida is when it has to do with the Middle East. The media has typecast her as, hey, she's doing something about the Middle East. Hey, she's not doing something about the Middle East. Don't cover her. But when she is doing something about the Middle East, they write about it. So it's almost as if. You know, her Middle East stuff dominates everything that I read. Um, but what what she like as, a, you know, a congresswoman in, you know, serving her constituents who are, I don't believe are a majority Arab. Right. That district isn't majority Arab. Well, it, it wasn't in her previous district because it was majority Detroit. So now it's 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 not as much significantly less Detroit. She does pick up Dearborn, Dearborn Heights, which has a large Arab American, Muslim American population. Um, and, you know, one thing with Rashida, she knows how to play the media game. She knows how to get national attention. She knows how to say things to get those headlines. Right. So she's really yeah. good at that. Yeah, she sure is. And now there are a couple state house races. Like, I don't know if you know any of these. Any of them stand out before I just throw names at you. But I, I saw that Alabas Farhat won. Bilal Hamoud lost. Stephanie Fakie lost. I'd heard her name before uh, a couple of times. But anything notable about those elections at the state level? Um, yeah, so Alabas Farhat, uh, who, who uh, his district is going to represent part of Dearborn, just a great guy, young guy, definitely, you know, the future of the party, future of Arab Americans. He's just just a really, really good guy. I was, I was no offense to him. I was a little surprised he won. It was a tough race. Um, he's just a great guy. And I'm, I'm just really happy for him. And it's, it's going to be great for the state. It's great for Dearborn, great for the community. Any other stars that came out? And when you look at the uh, uh, primary election results from August 2nd, anything really stand out? One that was a surprise and maybe something that, wow, that that wowed you. You know, I think one thing kind of close to home um, was this uh, gentleman named John Horford, who was a basketball star at the University of Michigan. His brother uh, Horford also plays for the Boston Celtics. And this guy, you know, worked really hard, knocked a bunch of doors, raised a lot of money and his opponent. Um, pretty well known, um, but, you know, definitely from what I could tell, wasn't working it as hard. Um, and uh, he lost by 25 votes in the state house race. 
So that was a little surprising to me, kind of close to my close to where I live. And uh, do you think that the Arab American and Middle East community have they increased their voice or maintained it? If you look at all the races, I mean, are, are they stronger as a community or are it, are they at the same level? Which was pretty strong. I'm not trying to criticize them, but did they really kind of grow or are they really just the same base that they've always been? You know, I think here in Michigan for both Democrats and Republicans, it, it, it both parties um, want that Arab American uh, vote in the community. Both parties reach out to the community. Um, you know, with a hot gubernatorial race, both are going to, uh, you know, be in Dearborn, Dearborn Heights, Sterling Heights, you know, Arab Americans, Chaldean Americans, uh, you know, so it's, you know, we're, we're a political force uh, and we're, we're uh, communities that that statewide elected officials are definitely reaching out to when it's great. And you know what? We also donate. We don't we we're really been much better at raising money and donating to, to candidates. And that's unfortunately how politics is played here in this country. And then the uh, Chaldean vote. Um, they're a bit, pretty big community. You don't really hear a lot about them because when you, they talk about Dearborn, or the Dearborn region or Detroit region, they talk about Arab Americans and Muslims. Um, yet the truth is that there's a huge Chaldean, non-Arab, Middle Eastern community. I think they're all Christian, I think. 99% there may be. I, I haven't met a Muslim Chaldean yet. It's possible that there's one. I don't want to say there isn't any. Um, but um, they're, they're a pretty significant voice. Are they overlooked sometimes, you think, the Chaldean community? You know, I don't think they're overlooked. Um, you know, again, they're they're very politically active. They have a chamber. Um, you know, they're another voice uh, in Michigan that 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 both parties and candidates reach out to. I think what's really interesting is that as the Arab American community has, you know, arguably been in this country and in, in this state longer, we're starting to run successfully run candidates for office. And I think that's soon going to happen with the Chaldean community, where I think there's only been one Chaldean American in the Michigan legislator, Clint Custo. I mean, I think in the next few years, you're hopefully going to see more Chaldeans successfully running for office. And do you think they, uh, I mean, I, I know that one of Hawaii Arif's big pitches was to try to convince them to support her. Did they play a role, you think, in that election? Was she able to get her message? Obviously, she didn't win, but I wonder, you know, it, did they come out in support for her or did they not support her? Or is it too early to tell? You know, I, Chaldean communities, excuse me, Chaldeans don't don't view themselves as Arab Americans. Right. Um, you know, with events in the Middle East, there's been more tension between Arabs, Arab Americans and, and Christian Arabs who are also Arabs or not Arabs anyway. Um, so maybe there was a little tension between that, you know, for there's a lot of Chaldeans in Macomb County, which is where that congressional seat is. And Carl Marlinga has been in Macomb County for a significant period of time. I would not be surprised if Carl Marlinga had very close ties to that community from previous elections. If Dearborn is an Arab city, what, what would be the Chaldean city? Is there a city that you would say that's a Chaldean city? Is I there mean, one? Sterling Heights is definitely, which is in Macomb County, definitely has a very large Chaldean American population. And so that and that's in Hawaii's or the district that she ran in, which is the uh, what was that? The 10th Demo uh, 10th district then. All right. Sterling Heights. Let, let's look at national politics for a minute um, in terms of what's the sense about uh, President Biden in terms of what he's doing um, for Michigan? It seems like I know the Arabs. Um, are a little disappointed in him. And I always sense that the Chaldeans always were because I, I see the Chaldean community as being somewhat more conservative, oftentimes voting Republican too, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I think Joe Biden in Michigan suffers from the same situation he suffers nationally. You know, his polling numbers are low. Who's um, surprising to me, and, and put my Democratic Party hat on, is he's had so many incredible successes you know, he just got this veterans bill passed. Um, he's he's got I mean, he's he's accomplished an incredible amount in less than two years. And yet he's got the whole progressive wing of his party just, you know, dissing him and wanting another president and upset that he doesn't give good speeches and upset that he doesn't send out good tweets. And, you know, that 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 doesn't help. It doesn't help when, you know, one wing of your party is completely ripping on you every day. 
But, is you know, it, he, the Republicans are hoping that Joe Biden's going to be a drag on Michigan Democrats. And it sounds like that uh, um, Biden um, doesn't really uh, uh, have like the sub- base support of a lot of Democrats, you know, that they're they have questions about him. But you're right. I mean, he's done a lot and you don't hear about what he's done. And, and I wonder, is that the problem of the media? that focuses to the far left where they think the news story is rather than looking at him. I I thought he had the backing of the media. I mean, I would always say, well, the media is very pro-democratic. They hated Trump, Um, but they don't seem to be doing Biden a favor, are they? Yeah. You know, you know, I think part of this is just me. I have no proof of this. I think part, part of my frustration as a PR communications person is, you know, Democrats feel like they do good things that helps the community. And I'll pick, Obamacare as an example. I mean, that's the most significant change to healthcare since Lyndon Johnson passed Medicare and Medicaid. I mean, more people have access to healthcare, more people are on healthcare, and that's good for corporations, right? I mean, people are healthier, they're coming to work, they're not calling in sick, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as much as I like President Obama, he allowed the Republicans to find Obamacare, right? And I think I see the same thing happening with Joe Biden and Joe Biden's people who are critical of Obama for not doing a better job messaging things like that. But you look at all the accomplishments under the Biden administration. I mean, here's a guy who stood up to Putin, but yet hasn't gotten us into a war. Here's a guy who's put billions and billions of dollars in the hands of local communities so they could determine how best to fix their problems, whether it's infrastructure or education or the environment or parks. I mean, you know, and and yet Joe Biden and his people uh, really haven't touted their successes. And I don't know if it's an assumption that like, hey, we're helping people out. We don't need to talk about it because people are going to realize it, which is, you know, President Trump was on TV every single day talking about nonsense, but he was always on TV. He was always talking about himself. And we don't see that with Biden that much. His no, message, his message yeah. isn't getting out, right? Uh, that, that's that's how I feel. Yes. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think uh, he is getting out, but in the wrong way. Um, he's being presented. And I, I think you're right. All that criticism of Obama that your messaging wasn't good. Um, I, of course, he was from the Obama administration. Right. right. Probably doing it the same way. You'd think that he would have changed things. Um, and I'm not sure he can. Anything else, Dennis, that uh, we missed or that I haven't asked about that you think is important and from the elections or the role of Michigan in the upcoming presidential in November? Yeah, I mean, I know people have already talked about this, but the big shocker to me was uh, the Kansas pro-choice vote and how the no vote, which is kind of confusing, the no vote was actually a pro-choice vote right. and how they won overwhelmingly, which Democrats are taking as a good sign for Democrats nationally in November. Yeah, Kansas wanted to uh, uh, pr- block or uh, the abortions. And uh, and <clears throat> it's it's looked at as kind of a Republican state, isn't it? Yes. And yet the women solidly Republican women voters came out and stopped that and said, no, we want this uh, choice. We want this ability to do that. So when you look at Michigan, I guess women are a really powerful voice. They're going to have an influence this year. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have a ballot initiative here in Michigan. The same thing, because right now our Michigan Constitution from 1931 bans abortions and it's being fought over in the courts, but we're going to have a statewide amendment to put that on the ballot. And, you know, my wife volunteered, collected thousands of signatures, to put that on the ballot. They got a record number of signatures turned in. And, you know, we hear from women all over the state of Michigan how they're really upset and really scared uh, about what's going on in this country. I always believe that there was some smart political strategist who said we got to get that abortion out, that decision before the election, because it's going to make a difference. And I think it is threatening. I'm not sure it's going to stop the Republicans from taking over the House, but it sure is threatening their role. Dennis, listen, it's a pleasure to have you on the show again. Uh, got to have you back in, uh, hopefully, uh, before November and then after November to talk about the election. What's your website if people want to go and get more information on what you're doing? Uh, you can go to www.dentalresearch.com or you can also go to www.dennisdeno.com. All right. Dennis Denno, my guest, great media and political consultant and election analyst. Uh, it's great to always have you on. And, and I just wanted you because and I'm not criticizing anybody else. 
but sometimes when you have too many people, it's hard to focus on stuff. And I thought uh, we touched on a lot of issues. Dennis, it was great having you on. You enjoy yourself and we will talk again. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. We'll talk again. Um, and everybody out there, listen, thank you for uh, joining our radio show this week. Remember, you can hear the show again on Thursday morning at 7 a.m. at WNZK AM 690. It'll be broadcast in Chicago on 1080 a.m., which covers all of Northern Illinois and the six county region. That's like uh, six to 10 million people. It's a lot of people. Um, and you can go to uh, the Facebook page at Arab News and you'll find the streaming there. Um, and also our podcast uh, at ArabNews.com. Anyway, thank you, everybody. You guys have a great week. We will talk to you again next week here at the Ray Hanania Show. Bye-bye, everybody. WNZK has available a few 